We're back. We're back to remote podcasting. I know. I was doing World War Z this morning, walking on the empty streets to get up here. What's it? What's uh? What's New York City like? It's uh. It's most the mostly empty. Um, there's like homeless folks who are still in the streets and stuff, and then there's like cops and stuff. But there's there's people who will walk their dog or people who are going for a run. But um, everyone does like the dodge move, you know. So they're like <laughs> people are courteous. They like stay outside. And like I'm listening to a podcast and I forget that and I'm walking and then like a woman just comes and like walks around like in the street. And I'm like, do I really look that scary? And I'm like, oh, right. Everyone is sick right now. <laughs> so, do, um, I didn't look really that bad. Are there cars out? Like, can you just walk down the streets? Or? Yeah, there's cars. And I've taken an Uber a couple of places and, and, and stuff. But um, yeah, people just walk. Yeah, it's normal. I mean, it's just empty. It's just like there's nobody, you know. And especially yeah. by where we work, it's it's uh, it's like weird because this place is usually just so bustling, you know. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's sad too because it's really pretty. It's been really pretty this last week. Like all the trees are starting to bloom in the West Village, and it's like uh, it's amazing. But it's like you can't really enjoy it as much, you know. Yeah, it's like that prime time of year though to start getting outside more. Yep. Yeah, I was going a little stir crazy. I, I, it's like it's hard because you're working at home in a 500 square foot apartment, and then you want to stop working and relax, and you turn around, and you're like still in that mode. <laughs> I'm used to having the separation, you know. Yeah, I know. I, think it's, I, I it's, didn't realize how used to I, I got like coming to the office every day. Yeah, I definitely that hit me yesterday because I was like really tired, and I took a nap at like three o'clock, <laughs> and like woke up at like I don't know six. I did exactly worked. the same thing on Monday. And then I worked from like six to nine. And it, it it's just like I don't have you know, at the office I have like a hard cutoff. And yeah, I stop working. But this just, you know, things can just bleed into each other. And I know. So it's weird. It's weird. I feel like I'm gonna I feel like I re- I need to be really conscious of that and like yeah. set super hard boundaries. Yeah. But I'm also not good at that. So Yeah, totally. We'll it see. was easier for me to have those boundaries imposed on me. I have to be at the gym at eight. And so I just go and then, you know, it's like just those natural things. So I'm waking up at a certain time. I have to have a certain amount of energy. Yeah, it sucks. Mm-hmm. I'm over it. Um, but alas, here we are. All right. We got some cool stuff to talk about. Yeah. First, did you know that there's no components in React? I Well, I do now, but I didn't until you brought this up as a podcast topic. I, I didn't actually understand. I didn't know it until I'm trying to remember the first thing that I, I saw that made me realize it. But then you know what? As I was editing the podcast with Yehuda, um, he mentioned it, but he mentioned it in, in a way that was pretty, pretty fast that if I hadn't already known it, I think I wouldn't have picked up on it. But he actually he actually said the same point. So, um, yeah, there's no components. Um the component in React is like an abstraction. Yeah. Do you want to? Do you want to? Do you want to? Do you want to explain that? Because yeah. I think. Yeah. Yes. So if you look at JSX, um, if you say the entry point of React app is like React, you you import like React DOM, and then you call render and you pass it in something to render. You can pass it in um, just a single JSX node, so like a p tag written in JSX that says hello world and it'll just render hello world to the screen. So react dom dot render p tag hello world. So there's no components yet at all. It's just uh, an element, a, a react element and it's just open p close. And when you put that into like Babel 
um, and see what it desugars to, it's just react.create element. So that is going to render an element. So create element gets called, you know, before and it's just an element. So an element is like a descriptor basically. So you could actually call like react.render and pass in like a pojo that is the same like interface as an element, which is like, I have a tag name of P and the children of this and props of this. And so create element is like a way to do that easily. Um, but ultimately that's what you're passing in. So by the time the react program renders, like it's just using these objects that describe the DOM. And so curly P is like an element. Now a component, returns an element and um so once you start making your own components like you can also pass in your own custom component or just your own component there is no custom component it's just a component you pass that into react dom.render to render it but if you were to look at the at the jsx again um what it turns out to be is like a function that returns create element so and it gets invoked immediately so like again the react program doesn't have like your component it's just it just has the return value which is create element so there's only ever elements so there is no component because when you put your component in the angle brackets like it's all it's going to get run immediately in a sense mm -hmm, mm -hmm. so you're saying like if you if you were like uh, if you were running code on a page that had a react app running you would not be able to like somehow get into that react app and start modifying the components yeah I guess like that's like it, like you could get the components through like some webpack interface yeah um, like but, the inspector you... can find that which components rendered this parts of the tree but like there's no component instance that exists and has like state on it it's like um it's like they don't exist they're just like they're a fun they're a function that get called immediately and the return value is used as opposed to the mental model of like new ember like ember component dot create and yeah, yeah. Um, I, can, I can take a running ember program and i can go in and i can find the components but but there's like component instances in javascript memory that have like instance data on them and, and stuff like that but but then how does like how does something the react inspector is a good point how does something like that work because that that has a notion of finding a component and finding state and being able to modify that state. So yeah. Let's say, well, we obviously don't really know what we're talking about in, in some sense. Let's say that it does exist for the purposes of, of that part of it. What's important is that for your part of it, like there is like for the mental model of the programmer, whether you render a P tag or a component that returns a P tag, it like literally ends up becoming react.create element, okay. which okay. is just like a pojo, and that's all there is. Um, okay, I don't so know the, how the, the inspector the, like hooks into it. Sure. So like the interface is is this this uh, JSX pojo thing, and that's how you communicate. And then the the way we should think about components are like an abstraction. Yeah, that and like JSX. Exactly. Exactly. And like we always say. Um, which is why like you can use like JSX expressions and like variables and, and, and like, you know, arrays of them and, and, and all this kind of thing. Um, there's nothing special about the component. It's like it's it, it is literally just a function that happens to get called. And we used to talk about Ember components like this, too. Like uh, when you look at an Ember component in a template, it's like a function invocation. Um, it's really like render tabs. Um, 
and we used to talk about that when we talked about like what argument signatures were appropriate for components and like what you should pass in like uh, a user form would you write a render user form function that takes in these 10 things or would you pass in a user because you think about a component invocation as like a function invocation but like in react it literally it literally is um and so you're, you're in a sense your components disappear um and in, in that sense they're an abstraction and so yehuda says this thing he makes this point where like react this is like a, un, he said this is an underappreciated point about react that the the, the comp the component is not is 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 literally an abstraction in the sense that it's like an ephemeral thing or it's just like an invisible barrier and um whatever is returned by it is all you get and now octane has the same has a similar property in the sense that like the component disappears and the template which is like the render function is the thing so there is no you know there's no wrapping dom node there's no wrapping attribute apis or anything like that it's like you just take this thing and like your component in a sense disappears and you just like slot the templates into like each outlet or whatever um which is kind of cool because it just gives you more yeah all the times we ran into that you didn't want there to be a wrapping the wrapping node thing is one part of it but it's also just neat conceptually like yeah. um to see how far you can push this so yep. i thought that was pretty cool is this like the uh, one thought that comes to mind is like this the thing that makes things like um React Native and other React-type rendering systems easier to build. The fact that you're, like, you're just, the interface is, is a POJO. That's a good question. Um, I don't know. I'm trying to see if I can do uh, let L equals this. Yeah, so if you say let L equals angle P angle, it's let L equals react.create element. Mm-hmm. And then if you say um, function app component return L um, and then like um, function parent return app. Yeah, so it's going to call create element on app and then I guess that's the question what happens when app gets gets passed into when your component gets passed into create element what happens but anyways i, I want to see if there's a really quick way for me to follow this down with the Babel REPL right here but mm-hmm. um i need to look into it a little bit more but um yeah i think that's the basic idea so that was uh it was just pretty cool like you're yeah they they they, they disappear in a very real sense and you're really just working with elements. I also was listening to a podcast with Michael Jackson where he was talking about this. And he kept saying like elements. And I was like, why isn't he saying components? He's saying elements. And it's like, well, because that's all that's all there is. At the end of the day, there's only elements. Um, which you could say about anything. But it's it's more true. It's more, I think it's more true for in the case of React. Because like the components aren't, they're like called immediately does this does it's this just not, like you use the return value and that's not it. not to be uh i don't know wet towel what's the word here yeah uh, wet blanket wet blanket like does this matter for me like when I'm, I'm i don't really think about this when i'm building an app no it doesn't matter um except when you start using it only matters there the reason it came up to me in the first place was because there was some thing i was doing where i was getting confused about you know how like you can say let capital C component equals some condition true 
P tag else like a tag. And then yep. like you have that JSX in a component, but it's like, it needs to be a function that returns those things so that you can then invoke the component because you're like invoking that function. Yes. Yeah. 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 This is it helped me think about, I was doing something dynamic like that and I was getting confused about like whether I needed to like render uh, JSX with like um, in, if I do curlies, do I just render JSX? Can I do that in a variable? Or do I need to invoke this variable I've called component? Like what does adding the, the brackets to a, comp a, a, a variable that I've defined do? And the answer is like it invokes it because it's like a function basically. Mm -hmm. And so mm -hmm. if you just make a thing a function, you've just made like a component, but like you then invoke it and it goes away. And it's just a return value of like whatever you defined at the end of the function. So it kind of helped me think about something when I was working. Cool. Um, so I think it, it's good to understand that. Uh, also, I still, I need to spend some more time, I think, in the REPL because I still get confused sometimes like when you're doing JSX and you have like a parent and then like you do map and then you do something and like, oh, I need another. Sometimes you feel like you need a, a fragment wrapper and sometimes like you don't. So it's just like, it's just, it can get confusing for me still. So I, I, I'll tell you my trick. You just wait for, uh, the error message to, yeah. you. <laughs> yeah, totally. And that works, but it's like, I don't like the feeling of just like, are you oh, talking wow, about like, playing yeah, you have like, it's like a nested loop and you have like a map within a map. Yeah. I, I tend to, uh, always put fragments in there. Um, I just, yeah, like, there was one where I did it, and then I like removed it. And I was like, right, I don't actually need you it, but need it was it. like confusing. And it, so, yeah, I don't know. Cool. Um, so uh, you've been working on some React stuff. You got some stuff to talk about? Yeah, I've been doing a ton of ton of React. Nice. Um, it's it's so funny, man. I I I love it. Like I am at the uh, I am back in the uh, peak hype cycle. Yeah, yeah. It's um. <laughs> I feel like it's like made for me that I can just like just take a problem and just go to town and then hide all of it in a component. Yeah. Um but you don't ever get feel like you get stopped. Oh, no. No. Um there's some stuff that I've been working on where like I have to read you know, I have to read docs, but that's not a bad thing. Um mm -hmm. But yeah, I I I feel like that the um the tooling always lets me move forward. And by by tooling here, I don't mean like create React app or Gatsby. I, I mean like the actual like React APIs, like um, mm -hmm. React children. Um, yeah, being able to just like, kind of like the example you brought up, being able to like make a, a component that returns an A tag or a P tag, just stuff like that. Um, it's not, it might not be like the perfect way to build a component, but when you're in that mode where you're just, trying to get some feedback and get stuff working you're figuring stuff out yeah having having those things you, i just i feel like i move so so fast mm -hmm. um it's funny today today once we stop this podcast i'm gonna at a point where i need to go back and like refactor everything and, and it's, <laughs> it's like kind of like actually make the apis i came up with yesterday usable um so, but you know the guts are there like because you got yes. the feedback and so the, the thing is like working yeah and part awesome. of part of this, I, I can get into. I'll, I'll just talk about what I what I'm building. It, it's like yeah. a, um, and then there's like this higher level thing I want to get into. But basically, this idea of we're gonna have like um, we're building like a marketing page, and we need the structure of the pages separate from the content. 
So you can think of this like, oh, a CMS. Poor um, man CMS. Poor man CMS. Um, CMSs are like, they're like big investment. And this is like a brand new marketing site. We don't know how uh, the people that want to edit the pages are going to edit them. So we don't want to just go all in on a CMS. So what we're doing is we're separating the, um, yeah, the content away from the structure. So if someone does need to make a change, they don't have to go in to some React component with a whole bunch of hooks. Pretty easy to make a mistake there. Um, mm -hmm. Instead, they can open an MDX file or Markdown file. And inside that MDX file, we have like a DSL basically that describes all the content on the page. Um, so we have MDX components that are like super simple and they're just, they just expose like component names and props that make sense for the content. And then the React side, like the React components are going to read that in and basically um, use children to recreate those components to like be the actual components with the actual props that you need to render the website. So like you can imagine. So it's literally like, it's literally like, um, like using JSX and, or MDX, I guess in this case to provide like structured data. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. But it's not like a one-to-one -one rendering because once you actually render that MDX file, you can iterate over it and ch pluck out this part that's a tabs thing and, and this part that's a feature thing and put it elsewhere basically. Yeah. Think about like if you, yeah, it's like if you're going to build a react component for tabs, um, you are going to have like all this state with hooks and all this stuff you might expose. Um, but if you're like editing and you want someone to edit the tabs, you don't need to expose them to any of that. They don't need to have this concept of like active tab because mm -hmm. when you're editing that, that doesn't actually exist. Like there's no, right. there's no active tab. So mapping, um, MDX tab component to like an actual usable react component is, is what this is doing. That's cool. And it's like an alternative to like, you could imagine making them do this in JSON or something like that, just providing all the content as like a JSON file. Sure, sure. And if you like take a step backwards, it's really they're providing all the content as an XML file. Um, mm -hmm. You know, we get to it, it constrain the XML interface so they don't just get to go to town with any old attributes. So it's it's better than, you know, just XML, but it is using an XML like data structure. Um, interesting and i think that's easier i think that's like that's easier than json to edit right, right? i think so yeah like json it's like um yeah it's just so easy to make a mistake um yep. you know same just, with the ammo yeah yeah um so i i really really like this approach also too as i was going through this just to kind of highlight something about the react tooling um i think i have like all these steps to transform this MDX file into like actual like React renders. Um, I probably have like 15 components that are just each doing like small transformations. And like, I don't, at the end of the day, like when I'm done with my refactor, it's probably just going to be like two or three components. But the fact that I was able to just make 15 components, like, Oh yeah. Without creating a bunch of files or something like that. And just in, in without even like, I, mean, I wasn't even about. thinking about it. Yeah, I would just make a new function. And I'd be like, oh, that's not right. And then I would like just copy and paste that function and call it like, you know, function name two. And yeah, yeah, editing. yeah. And like, yeah, it's just. Um, it felt more like coding elsewhere, like how you yes. can play around and code. That's, 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 that's great. 
yeah, it felt like coding. Like it felt like I was, um, yeah, back in like that hacker mentality. Right. Um, it gives you the the for the space to figure things out in the code, um, in a really direct way. Whereas sometimes it can it can feel like a bigger step to like make a new component or make a route or something like that. And here you get to stay very very low level as you're figuring things out. Yep. Yep. Yes. Yeah, I can totally relate to that, man. I mean, even like with the UI component stuff that we've started out with, it's the same thing where like you just wait and then, oh, you try on like a text component or a heading component and you can just do it right there with a three-line function and see how it works, you know? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And then as you figure things out, pull it out. So it's pretty cool. Yeah. Um, yes. Yeah, we've... Uh, what do you think about Gatsby still? Where's the verdict on that? Oh, we, I, we, I... We're using Gatsby. I love, love Gatsby right now. Um what about next? I haven't. I haven't. I've only. I've spent like I don't know. I did like an hour, hour and a half of next development this week. So I'm it would have taken us longer if this was the next project. Oh yeah, for for sure. Yeah, for sure. Um, I um, I'm excited about next, but I don't. Yeah, I I can't. I can't speak to that. I also think I would choose. I would use. I don't look at next next and Gatsby as the same tool. I look at Next as more yeah. for like the thing I'm building in Next is is like an a actual application. Yeah, where the two two sites I built in Gatsby are, um, they are yeah, marketing sites. Yeah, marketing HTML, but but being able to have the power of React um, and make it, you know, Gatsby makes you feel like you're writing um, a marketing site with like dynamic code, even though that dynamic code just runs at build time. It's still as a developer, you feel like you're writing a dynamic website, which is, um, I mean, that's why I love it. That's like one of the main, main points of Gatsby. Right. That you're like, you're querying from a GraphQL API and iterating over list of posts and, and stuff like that. Yeah. Even though at the end of the day, it's all static HTML. Prior to Gatsby, you know, the, the idea of static sites, it, it, they aren't new, but they're always like transforms from, I start with a markdown file. And I go through a series of steps and that gets combined with SAS and all this other stuff. And I, I end up with HTML, but nothing while you're writing that feels like building a dynamic site, hmm. right? You're always from, from start to end, you're always thinking of static file to like static markdown. Static output. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. 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 So I think the thing that Gatsby. Whereas Gatsby, you're using hooks to like query data as if you were building an app. Yes, exactly. You, you are thinking as a developer, you're thinking about building a dynamic website. Um, now there's definitely like some constraints here, mm -hmm. but you're still, you're thinking of, of how you, the tooling, the way you go about it is how you would build a dynamic site. It's yeah. just that there is an output step and you don't run any of the, your code beyond that output step. Right, right, right. That's a cool way to think about it. Like dynamic sites are good. They're powerful. They, we build them all the same way. Why not be able to use the same approach when building stuff that ends up being static? I think it's also a natural way of thinking. Like you're told to build a website and it should get this data. And um, yeah, you're just going to be thinking of it dynamically. Right. Right. Loops and everything like that. Um, cool. So last week, well, we just published, I guess this week, I guess it'll be last week, but we had an older conversation we had recorded and then we post published the, 
the interview with Yehuda for Emmerkampf. And um, I'm a little tired today. I, I like I've been so off my schedule and like I've just been eating popcorn and candy. That's just like what I do now at night. And it's like it's got to stop because it doesn't feel good. <laughs> so I'm a little tired. Um, but I'm trying to piece it back together because we're a little out of sync here. So we had the, the Yehuda interview we, we published. And then um, this week we published the one we had re- recorded before that where we were talking again about next and edge deploys and everything like that. Um, and there's another thought I wanted, I had after another podcast, I think I had listened to, which was about this whole, um, kind of the SPA bundle versus the per page, uh, code splitting stuff. So like next, uh, and, uh, now are pretty of the opinion strongly that, um, each route should like deliver the minimum code um it needs so more like a a traditional php model or whatever you hit the route and the thing executes and sends you back just the html and assets that you need for that page and then you click on a link and it does it all over again right Mm -hmm. and um we've been building ember apps for a while which is kind of a different approach where it's more like a native app where you fetch your initial fetch which can then be cached on a cdn is like the entire app and it makes for fast subsequent interactions especially ones that don't require new data from the server um so like miragejs.com is basically all bundled up so like once you get the site you can basically navigate around the whole app um without like it's 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 all client-side render because all the all the data and templates are there everything is there um which is really cool and uh sometimes it's what you want like sometimes it feels like that's totally what you want and so whenever when they were saying this thing about next and now, um, Gatsby is the same way because they have this belief. It kind of bleeds into some of their APIs and architecture decisions. Notably, the router is a situation where you don't have the nested Russian doll routing out of the box the way you do in Ember. And we both really like that. Um, and React Router like supports that model too. But they these tools just don't take advantage of it for these reasons. Is that if you have the nested routing story, then you're whole application in a sense needs to be loaded to render any given route and so your whole application becomes a bottleneck so they say instead just find the fastest path through and then when you're bundling your app like bundle split everything else out and just have that respond to the endpoint so it's like trying to route route based tree shaking is what you're yeah exactly and that's that i think that is um planned in ember Let's just say it existed. Uh, you could still have um, like the nested routing, but now like clicking a link, you could have a conceptual nested routing, but then clicking a link would just block on both code and on data potentially. Uh, but if you didn't want that, you could ship all the code up front. And um, again, like there's certain cases where I think it makes sense. Why isn't there a middle ground where the initial render grabs the route and just the code for that route? But then once the page renders, you can just load, fetch the whole app, load the rest of the app in the background before they even click, basically. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, OK, there's a good dude. There's going to be a million little gotchas like, yeah, what, this is embarrassing. What, I'm just yawning here in the middle of our podcast. <laughs> <laughs> what happened? Yeah, that's because the subject is so boring. <laughs> what happens if they click? What happens if they click a link before the app is loaded? Yeah, but, yeah, yeah. But, but why but let's hand wave those away yeah Yeah. and and see so there was uh, yeah go ahead i I also think like 
I mean, this is a lame response, but um, yeah, different applications are going to have different needs. And I, I don't think there's a one size fits all solution. Um, but we, we, but when we first ran into this, we were really bummed out by it because you conceptually were, we were so used to having the app loaded and being able to do all this cool stuff based on the fact that you have the code loaded, thinking about the SPA as like a mobile app, it's a lot better in, in a lot of ways. Um, like, you know what all their models are because like your whole like schema is loaded. You know what all your routes are because like your whole router is loaded. Um, when you click on a link, you can prov- always provide instant feedback because like you have all the code loaded. You don't need to wait for anything. So um, there was things that we kept running into that felt like this was like a crappy trade-off. Actually, but I don't- Adam was saying the same thing and Ryan Florence messaged him and said that um, he like agreed and, and felt like it was a bummer that these frameworks were making it seem like you have to go choose one or the other. Like if you want this architecture, you have to give up the nice nested routing and, and all these kinds of things. And like, because out of the box, a Gatsby app, you click on it and it feels like a full page refresh almost, you know, um, they actually re-render the entire app unless you opt into like a, a, a default layout thing. And then even then it only does it one level. So if you were going to make an app like it'd be very difficult to make an app like um, like a mail, you know, yeah, or yeah, a chat yeah, app yes, 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 with yes. these tools, you, you would end up, I mean, bypassing it and rendering, which is what we did with Mirage, which in hindsight might be like maybe we wouldn't we wouldn't do that again if we started today. But we basically like we have every route render the same component as an app. And like we basically don't use Gatsby links because we wanted just conceptually to have like. We just wanted that control over it and that same developer experience well, of like well, it's, thinking about it as a nested Russian doll and thinking about the root app being the same and not changing place if you re- if you change pages. Right, also, right, the, right. Scroll position, well, the scroll it, position in the sidebar. Exactly. We're not saying this because like we believe it's easier to work with. There were actual yeah. what we thought were, were bugs in the application. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. So. Yes, yes. So like the, 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 the scroll bar position, if you're making a doc site like Mirage and you scroll to the left and then the main is the outlet and then you re-render, like, but you want to keep the scroll bar. And like in a, Re- a Create React app or an Ember app, that'll happen by default because of the nested rendering. And if the parent doesn't change, it'll persist. But with the Gatsby by default, you click on a link and it re-renders the whole thing. And so that was just like, felt so dumb. To, felt so unnecessary to us. And like, um, not a good trade-off. Like if I'm clicking links, just give me the whole bundle. I mean, how much is the bundle for MirageJS.com? Maybe I shouldn't look this up right now, but maybe it'll be embarrassingly large. But I don't know. No one's ever complained well, to me well, about that's, it. That's a, and the, the site well, is like well, super on, huge. It, size, it's super fast. The size doesn't matter because because of this, because we've never needed to look it up because no one's ever complained about it. I mean, that's, yeah, I like to think that. Um, if we're going to bring up size arguments and now we're just getting into abstract, vague, um arguments that we literally can't dismiss yeah i know i mean it's hard to know component source routes app 209 kilobytes seems fine to me i don't know app js 186 kilobyte 86 kilobytes like i just i don't know it just seems to me like it's so much better to like if i'm going to get 100 kb of javascript why not get 400 and then have all my code loaded have all my javascript loaded for the whole app it's fine it's done obviously i get it if you're making a massive website amazon.com can't give you the shouldn't give you the whole bundle for the entire 
AWS, you know, like all the AWS services just for visiting the homepage of Amazon.com. Really? It might, it might make the AWS UI a bit better. That's true. Um, but uh, I don't know. So I was trying to remember. So anyways, we kind of, this was like our belief strongly. Like we just felt like this was a confusing decision that these frameworks like Next and Gatsby made and um, trying to understand it. And I might have been listening to Guillermo podcast, but I have here Next, SPA bundle versus per page code. And it says, what people expect from the web. You visit a page and expect the content. Also crawlers and Google. So that's like, I guess that's an argument in favor of like the first the first um, request, just giving you the, the very minimum. Um, also, he was talking about like these really, I think there's some really big apps built on Next. Mm-hmm. And uh, before they had this, it was like a huge problem. And he was saying now, it just keep, keeps working as you keep getting a bigger app because mm-hmm, mm-hmm. um, you don't have to worry about this. Critical paths. You don't want to ship. Oh, yeah. You don't want to ship a table uh, terms of service to block a user from clicking sign up or buy button. Yeah. <laughs> I thought that was pretty interesting, actually. There were some ways that he was saying these things where I was starting to think, like, maybe it's better to to think about it this way. And also, I like the, the idea of, like, having one, one way to do to do it whether you're building a site that's like constrained like miragejs.com or like a big app if there's one approach that works really well for both um don't want to ship the terms of service to block a user from clicking buy yeah it kind of makes sense like i mean that's a, if that 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 is a great great little nugget in the yes, uh, in, the, in the favor, in the favor of, of, of this, this argument yeah the per page argument yeah so um yeah i don't know that was interesting I mean, again, I'm I'm just gonna go back to it. Depends on the app that you're building. Um, yeah, I can think of SPAs that I built where uh, they needed the whole app up front. It needed to operate more like a mobile app, um, right? And there were no terms of service pages. Like, you know, certainly some pages were more important than others, but there was not a wide gap of, you know, buy button versus terms of service you know something right. extremely important versus something that's basically useless right right right. Um, yeah it'd be cool to i mean like what's what's the ideal here to like take something like uh like ember gatsby and just be able to flip a switch and yeah i guess it's tough because like on the one hand the terms of service thing is good on the other if like let's say you loaded the app and this happens to me all the time in new york where you you pull up a page and you're on the subway and then like you need to click i agree or you need to click you need to scroll to the bottom of the things to accept it before clicking a button and so you have to make one more request to get it and but now you're on the subway and you're you're effed like you're done and i would have rather had the whole site load up when i first requested it um so that i could have more feedback and potentially more content basically i was thinking about this and it's like well yeah native apps are just better in so many ways than the stuff that we put together so i'm on the subway and i'm browsing the mobile web for some reason someone's blog that i found on twitter or whatever and internet stops working i just go back to twitter and i have a bunch of stuff that's loaded up and the app is still going to work um offline so that argument is more like but i guess that's the twitter app and not like your blog there was this yeah i guess it's just yeah, the funny thing is getting the content there as fast as possible 
So he was talking but, about this, like wait, embracing the web and stuff. Can Go I ahead. just make one little play? The funny thing yeah. is you're, you're saying like, well, it's different because one's a Twitter app and one's your blog, but like we're using the same tooling to build both these things these days. Yeah. And so like, I, I, it, it's, yeah, it just makes me think that it's, but if it's your blog, like, and I'm not going to install your blog on my phone as like an app that I want to use offline. So <laughs> he was kind of saying like, maybe we should be thinking about embracing like the web the platform and how people use it and if someone clicks a link to your blog post from twitter like it really is just about getting the content there in your hands as fast as possible Mm -hmm. and um yeah that is different than than an app that is like ynab or something like that you know so maybe it's just different for different people i feel i do feel like there should be an easy switch to flip like Maybe that's the answer, right? We 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 start Gatsby with Mirage.js, but we we just say don't do the per route code splitting because like that's great that that feature is coming to Ember, but like I think there's a lot of situations where we actually wouldn't want that because again, you would rather the add-on doc story where I was using the add-on docs. I was in an airplane and I was trying to get the documentation for like Liquid Fire or Ember Animator when I was working on the trainings, and every link is slow in the air because the latency is so bad and. Um, can I make a but joke? Once you Can lo- I make a joke? Like, but you're already in the cloud at that point. <laughs> once you're, once you get it, though, I'd rather. It's the what is it? Low bandwidth, high latency, right? So, or high bandwidth, low latency. Anyways, it's gonna take long. Whether you're requesting a page that's fifty kilobytes or five hundred kilobytes, yep. It's basically gonna take you like a minute either way when you're flying through the air on this crappy connection. But in the other case, in the one case, you just get one page and I have to wait all over again. In the other, you have the whole app. And so now I can literally click around. It's all client rendered. It was wonderful. There's only a few sites that I could actually use because um, they behaved in this way. That was more like a native app. And so that was a case where I actually wanted that. So it's almost like you want to start with Gatsby and say, if my site's on the smaller side, conceptually, like miragejs.com might have like 100 pages by the end of it. It's fine. Just bundle it all up and, and give it to me once because it's just going to be faster than anything anyone can do on the network because clicking it is just literally instantly client-side rendered. And that's why miragejs feels instant right now. So, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. It would be nice to be able to flip back and forth to not have to make a big decision there. Um, but there was definitely some arguments he was making about this that was uh, really interesting. There were the other, the, the other arguments, other side of this. Um, critical paths don't want to ship terms of service. End-to-end encryption on the client. Um, he was saying, the and error tracking. Um, well, how did this relate to this point? I'm trying to remember. Because the end-to-end, I remember the end-to-end encryption um point being about like why you don't want to necessarily have your data go through your your server to rent like if you're doing ssr mm-hmm. it's better to just ship the, the the app shell we talked about this last time so that you can like cdn it mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and um and then your clients can just um like w- once your clients load up then you do the authentication because you're in like you're in a trusted environment for the client's perspective and you can establish like end-to-end encryption between like the client let's say and like origin or something like that and um maybe this wasn't about this actually wasn't about the the per the per page splitting stuff this was just i had just re-listened to this podcast that we talked about last time and um 
this was like a clarifying point about why it helps with the encryption. Same with the error tracking stuff. He was like, talk to an ops person and tell them like you only have to deal with errors between like the client and data requests and not in like a server environment too. And he was saying all this, he was making a really good argument about how it was like, they would love you middle. Yeah. Not like servers in the middle as well. Yes. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. Um, but yeah, it was just kind of interesting re-listening to this and him being like each page is an independent entry point into your application. And that's kind of like, that's kind of where we start all of our thinking from because it has implications for security. It has implications for, server-side rendering versus server-side generation mm-hmm. um it has all these implications so yeah, it's pretty interesting um yeah I'm, I'm excited to see where next goes i'm going to be following it a lot more closely after this last month or so just kind of like learning so much about it you know cool i had this good case to discuss emmermat video page if you're coming from the home page oh yeah this was the other yeah this was a, this was a good example so on Embermap, if you're coming from the home page, we render like the six latest videos or whatever. And if you click on one of those, like we already have the data for it. So um, we have the thumbnail, the title, the description, everything about it, basically. And so when we click on it, it's instant right now because we can render from cache. If we did per page route splitting, code splitting, we wouldn't be able to do that because we wouldn't have the code to render the video page. Yeah. But if you load the video page first, um, you want it like server rendered and, and everything. So you want it cached. But like if you're already on the client, you want the client to render it, which means the client needs to have the code to render it. You see what I'm saying? Now, this is a tricky use case where the model of like having the whole SPA bundle loaded um, is good because you can have an instant client only subsequent interaction yeah that but, you don't need to go to the server for but I, I i think my question here is like when you load the home page the the most likely next action you're going to take is to click on a video because the, the home page is just a list of all videos so how would the programmer tell the bundle which code is needed like you could click on a podcast and go to the podcast page you could click on a series and go to the series page yeah so i i mean the way I would think about this is, um, yeah, just the way we built these home pages. My thinking is that, um, why not? There's a link to a route, like also preload the code for that route. Exactly. Exactly. I mean, that's what, I guess that's what Gatsby does when you hover it. It gets both the code and the props, I think to render the next page. Um, so maybe that's another way to think about this is like, you still do the per page splitting, but then you can intelligently preload other pages, both code and data that is needed. Um, your point, either on load or okay, yeah. But your higher point level is, point is that like you can't always just say ah this one is route split and this one yeah. because like the the path they're going through actually changes that. Yeah, and also the experience you would want maybe you want to animate from the home page to the to the video page again. It requires to have have the code in the bundle loaded by the time they click the link mm-hmm. um, to do that. So if you just load all the code up front the way a, f- a full bundle does, you don't have that problem, like you have the code. But if you do what Gatsby and Next do by default, you can't, you'd have to um, wait. So you'd have to go to the network in order to render what's next. Whereas if you're in the case where you already have the data in the store on the cache that you need, based on it being rendered on the homepage, 
you could do an instantaneous render um, without going to the network at all. I guess that's like the question. I guess that's like a question is like, it kind of seems behind all these conversations. It's like going to the network for a page transition is like, not that's fine. Like that's not even, it's more important to have smaller bundles than to have to do another round trip. Whereas like in my mind, there's a lot of times I'm clicking on links and I'm waiting. I feel like even with good websites on good internet. And when I get to a site that's like instant, when you're clicking around, it's a nice change. I don't know. Yeah. I think it's more, I I, I don't know. I think it's more about what I'm building. Like uh, a lot yeah. of the things I work on are, are apps. Like there are things that people mm-hmm. have open all day and they're clicking between things. And I just want everything loaded. Yeah. Sitting there it's just and they way can easier. just fly through it. But I guess if, yeah. if now if we're talking about building a marketing page and I'm more open to these arguments, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And then of course there's things like Ember map that probably sit in between the two. Mm-hmm. Um, right. Interesting. But yeah, I do think there should be an easier way to move back and forth between them. Maybe the preloading page thing is 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 all you would need. Like you could specify the programmer could specify at a page level if there's a link on here to another page, go ahead and put that page's code in my bundle as well. Yeah, you could imagine link taking props like yeah, preload, preload on mouse over, preload yeah, on yeah, render, yeah. Um, preload on build. Yeah. Yeah, interesting. Huh. By by the way, can I just can I just say I'm so happy that I will never be working on any of this code and never have to write <laughs> any of it. I'm just gonna let let other people solve this problem and tell me what to do. I'm pretty sure you wrote a preload helper, buddy. <laughs> yeah. An ember. Yeah, that was uh I didn't have to deal with code splitting or anything for that. That's true, that's true. Oh yeah, look at this. Existential crisis. Is next slash now convincing me to do the per page thing instead of nested routing full app? Discuss use cases. It seems basically to go, completely go against React Router. Compelling arguments about app not being bottleneck choke point for single page. Rails apps with router files hundreds of lines long. <clears throat> oh yeah, that's right. Why not just build app as several small apps instead of like using Rails engines? Next now encourages it from the beginning. So this was this was yeah. a really interesting line of yeah. thinking. No, no, no. It was yeah. really interesting. It was really interesting. <laughs> Okay, go. It was just really interesting. It was just, um, oh yeah, you have LL. Okay, buddy, here. Uh, <laughs> no, he was talking about this, like, and again, I think he's coming from a perspective of these companies that have like big, um, big, like big apps, like big. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, if you want to go work on an app and you have to open up Rails router or your routes file, and there's like hundreds of routes, it sucks, right? To me, we're taking, this is not always a clear win, right? Like going from taking a Rails app that's a monolith and going to engines, that introduces complexity. Taking a Rails app that's a monolith and going to microservices, which is could be like the ultimate, you know, logical conclusion of this. It, it, I think it's trade-offs. You, sh- you shift um, problems from one area to another also too there are valid reasons for this stuff so i don't want to say like you should never build a rails app with engines like if you have a massive rails app with um hundreds of developers yeah maybe like like putting groups of developers into engines is better Mm -hmm. than everyone committing to the same code base especially you know Mm -hmm. like you got to be pretty responsible with rails because everything, you know, all classes are globals and it's pretty easy to mm-hmm. reach into other parts of the system. So yeah, maybe in really big rails apps, that's a problem. Um, I worked on a rails app that was massive, 
It had over 300 models. The writer file, I can pull it up. It was probably a thousand lines. Um, but I only worked on it with like three other developers. And so like doing engines was never on the table for us. Yeah. Um, so interesting. Um, it's more like conceptually, you, you could imagine a way to break up the app that's not, doesn't require engines, but is conceptually more like how we build component driven parts of the UI that are encapsulated and isolated from each other. So instead of having a single routes file that's a thousand lines long, you could have admin and then admin defines its own routes, yeah, right? Yeah. And, and stuff like that. But there's, there's not like, that's like the benefit there is to the programmer, right? That's like an organizational yeah. benefit where with yeah. the next stuff, the benefit is you can make the argument that the benefit is to the end user because the end user doesn't have to download the whole app if they're, right, if they're but, only but, downloading but I, the admin routes. But I think there's overlap here where where the benefits that we get by using composition to build apps so that parts of our UIs are isolated from other parts, which is good and everyone likes, um, those, uh, let me, let me think about this. Those basically, uh, like maybe this page as entry point enables a lot of that to be in other parts of our code that is not currently because we're used to thinking about a single application that is a bottleneck for the whole thing. Mm -hmm. So, um, in the same way, like React Router now lets you define like routes like in subtrees. So you don't have to, like the first version of React Router was basically Ember's Router and it had like a single place where you define your all of your routes. Um, but you can imagine it being pretty nice if within like your pods, you're, you know, you have like an admin thing and that's where all the routes are for that. And like when you're working on admin, like you don't have to go outside of admin basically. I mean, there's some global yeah. things, always like models and things like that. But um, it was just a thought. Um, compelling arguments about app not being the bottleneck or choke point for a single page. I think he was talking again about some pretty crazy sites where um, loading the whole React app, loading the whole Rails app, like just to... Well, it might have been related to the serverless stuff too, because if you have to spin up a serverless instance, <laughs> I mean, now we're just now we're just freaking. You just took <laughs> no, red but it's Kool Aid. You started mixing it with blue Kool Aid. We're drinking purple Kool Aid. Like, if you have to, if you if you have to spin up a serverless function just to uh, handle <laughs> handle a request, and you have to load in your your React your your Rails router file, which is uh, you know two thousand lines long just to respond with a static version of the terms of service. <laughs> All right. You got me. You got me. I you know, have, I have that, no yeah, defense so, here. You win. Yeah. You QED. Win. It's done. <laughs> no, but there's something about that. That's like very modern, you know, <laughs> like, um, you know, it's it like appeal the way he was talking about it. Maybe he was casting a spell on me, you know, with that, <laughs> was a Spanish voice of his. It was like, you know, it was about the appealing to the compositional aspect of it, which is like, there's something to be said for that where it's like less about global, more about local, less about 
things that are cross cutting across your whole app and more about like composing the bits together and um and the entry point like the page as entry point is really cool because like and it's true maybe it's, it has like like settings set, settings on uh, on ember map it's like it's pretty cool it, you could go and think about like set slash settings as like its own entry point into the app and um like we do and we have like a settings route which like makes sure that the user is authenticated but like it's also already going through like the application route and whatever other routes happen to be parents of it so again with the russian doll stuff there's a cascade which is nice but um yeah it's also like uh how you got there how you navigated there 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 there's something nice about thinking about like a single path into the application through settings and that's the entry point and we get to like handle all that stuff yeah, in one I, place. Whereas, yeah, I guess like you know the way we think of entry points in the SPAs that we build, it's just like you download a whole JS bundle and that's your entry point, and it, it yes. reads the URL from like window dot location. Yeah, but like that's not how the web browser thinks of it. Yeah, exactly. And, and so like there is some there is like an elegant argument here. Yeah, um, yeah, exactly. I, I, it's interesting though. Yeah, yeah. I guess is it like unfair for me to say like. This is a tooling problem, and when the tooling is ready, I'll flip the switch. Also, also, but there's a lot. There's a lot of hard things about like with settings, like when you load all the code up front and you have all. I mean, but this is just like, see, this is going back to my other like BS or whatever (laughs) about like native apps. It can be hard when you. It's not always an entry point into the app, right? Because if you if you're coming if you're navigating from the homepage or something. Um, but I email people. I, I email people that say like, "Oh yeah, you can take care of that. Here's a link to your settings page." Right. And so right. So no, it is, but it's not only. It is an entry point into the app, but it's not the only entry point to the app. So sorry, like slash settings. There's two ways to get there, right? You load it up from a link, or you um, navigate there by clicking a link from within the page. So that's maybe where this comes down to, like. Is it really an entry point or are we navigating to it? And if we already have data, we're again, we're used to thinking about that because we write Ember apps, have written a lot of Ember apps where there is one entry point and then the UI is derived based, the, the UI is derived from the state you already have in this cache on the client and um, and where you're coming from. So that's why conceptually like a page as entry point doesn't really make sense. We're like, no, the Ember app is the entry point and then it handles like navigating and it handles everything, um, which enables you to do a lot of cool stuff that we like, like having a, a, a client side cache of, of models and all sorts of things, ha- having animations that operate on like the entire route hierarchy. You can have rules that, that, you can encode animation rules based on your route hierarchy. If I'm going from this one part to this other, but you have to know the whole route hierarchy to know that. Yep. Um, yep. Or like whether a page is a 404, like basically you just don't need to go back to the, to the network for that to answer those, a lot of those kinds of questions. So it's just interesting. I, I guess the question is like, yeah, maybe it's just, it's hard. The frustrating part for me is like, maybe I just want to become a native app developer because like, I don't care about the, I don't want to, the, the use cases where you just want to give me your blog post content as fast as possible. I get that. I get it. But um, people want to use apps so much more than websites. Like everyone uses apps. And I think it's, I think there's a lot of the web. I don't know if this view, this perspective is like helpful or harmful in making web apps 
uh, more competitive with native or not. Interesting. That's a good point. Or that's something that it's like, it does on the one hand. Yes. It embraces like the web and like, I get it. You're making a next app. Like you're, you're Guillermo, you're running next and and now, and like your massive, like e-commerce company is like having massive scaling issues. So like you you send a link to like a new desk you want to buy and it needs to be like super instant fast PHP style, one thing. And we don't care about transitions and all this kind of stuff. Like the most important thing is to render this as fast as possible with a few amount of bytes as possible. So I get that. Um, but like, is that going to be competitive with a native app? Like at the end of the day, as soon as the person has a call to action, like the experience is better on our app, <laughs> they're going to sit there and download a 50 megabyte app. And then the app developer is never going to have to think about code splitting. They just right. I mean, because, um, yeah, yes. Yeah. They're going to deep link into the thing. Oh, he was talking about deep linking too. How that's like a that's something that where like the web still wins because like built into it, it's like yeah. cool. But like, I mean, it's, it, it is it is pretty awesome that I can send you a link to buy this desk. And no question, yeah. And and so like, if we can get there, if we can make that experience as good as SPA or sorry, it's the the native app experience. I mean, this is yeah. yeah, this is the argument that we've been having for the last you know eight years know. at this point. I know. I wonder if you can just if the user stays on the page for more than a few seconds, just go ahead and like preload the whole app. So it's kind of like, it's like lazily installing a native app. Yeah. Um, but without them really knowing, and then it just feels really good. You know, it feels like using a native app. It just bothers me, I guess. Yeah. Like that. We can't make, we can't make stuff feel like native. Yeah. Or like, I don't know. It's, I, I feel like I have to go one way or the other. Like either we're trying to compete with a native app or like I'm just giving HTML because it's fast. It's what people expect when they click links. The back button works because when I swipe right now on so many, doesn't matter if you're using Ember or React. Like there, there's even my personal website has this. Like there's so many uh, like client side rendered sites where you know how like in mobile Safari, if you swipe from the left side of the screen, it's a back button. It just like doesn't work well with like client-side rendering and client-side routing because they're like the phone is trying to render the old thing that it has cache it it does cache it and it works but like um then like the javascript runs and it hooks into the pop state or push state and takes over and re-renders so you might lose your scroll position you might lose state and it's just like it's really bad so that's the part of me that's like all right we should just do we should let the browser do as much as possible browser does a lot of stuff really well and it never violates people's expectations then the other part of me is like um yeah that's a really good point that's that that are we are we can't compete with both native and browser so which one are we competing right. with? i don't know i might be twisting right. words a little there but i really like that no 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 that's it's, it's two ends of the spectrum um because if i'm sitting like here, browser as app delivery platform versus native um yeah. If, if yeah, browser, if I'm sitting here and I'm making all these technical points because of that's how HTTP works, that's how the browser works, and you're sitting there coding an app to match a native experience, where there's just going to be so much tension. Totally, man. we're just never going to have agreement, and it's going to lead to these. Yeah, it's just going to lead to like bad. We're going to both make bad trade-offs. Yeah, from Gary Bernhardt, uh, recreate uh from gray um browser gary was tweeting recently um 
he said basically, oh yeah, the longer I spend on the SPA, the more it feels like re-implementing the entire browser by myself. <laughs> Example, you set titles per page, but then those titles persist when navigating to a different page. So you have to always set the page title on navigation, re-implementing the browser. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> Likewise, it's great, right? Likewise, for the meta description tag, you have to actually find and modify the meta name description DOM node every time the user navigates to a new page. And implementing the entire concept of page is your problem. Yeah. As a result, we now have this component, uh, which I imagine is duplicated in tens or hundreds of thousands of other SPAs in the world, all re-implementing browser functionality. Um, and then, uh, so that that's like, yeah, sure. And then someone's like, I still don't get why people choose SPAs over normal server-side rendering. It complicates things even more. And then he says, well, go to executeprogram.com, scroll down to the bottom, and use our terminal UI for a while. And imagine every one of those little UI interactions round-tripping to the server instead of happening locally in your browser. Of course, this whole thing is like a super interactive, awesome app that runs in the browser. I mean, of course, you couldn't build code sandbox. Like, should code sandbox exist? Yes. I mean, can you build that with server rendering? No, you need JavaScript for that. So it's just there's a tension, but the kinds of things we're interested in building seem like they required, you know, the client side rendering and we like that, but it's, it's, you do run into these issues for sure. So it's like, yeah, it's just, I don't know. It's good though. It's good. We're talking about this and it's good that we can think about this for the next, the next projects we build and decide yeah. where they fall on that, on that. I spectrum. think I, I get, I get a little frustrated that because it seems like there's people who are moving in two different directions. And if Apple is moving in the direction of um, making like the, they just like did something where like service workers don't work in PWAs anymore or something like that. I, I think there was some misunderstanding there, but I think overall, like it's clear. Wasn't Safari like the last ones to get service workers or they still don't have them or something? Yeah, I think they didn't. I thought they did, but I don't know. They're obviously more interested in their native apps as far as apps go. And they like the web for the web, but it's not supposed to be competing with their native apps for obvious reasons. Um, By the way, I, I want to, I don't, I know, I don't think you feel this way, but I just want to dive into this. I don't think they're blocking PWAs because they're scared of losing like app store revenue. I think PWAs are, are awful. I yeah. If you've ever used right. a PWA. They're protecting the experience. Yeah. From the user's uh, 100%. point of view, I never want to use a PWA. I know, but I'm being very dramatic right now. But yeah, yeah, yeah. I I know, but but the question is like, the longer people believe that the native apps are the best way to deliver apps, um, and the web is like not appropriate for that, then like we're gonna feel this tension. Whereas, and if frameworks like Next are going down the path of like how can we bring the PHP era style of like rendering that embraces modern tools like react that are pleasant, you know, maybe more pleasant to, for a lot of people to use, but we're still embracing like this per page mentality versus people who are like trying to do code sandboxy kind of things. Mm -hmm. um, it feels like if people are moving in opposite directions, it's not, maybe they're not moving against each other. Like maybe, maybe, Maybe like front end frameworks can get better at like re-implementing browser functionality and sharing it without the folks who are doing the per page stuff, um, like pushing against them. But sometimes it feels like they push against each other. Are you worried that you're going to get 
pushed out of the web and start becoming a native developer? Because I feel like I'm you, worried. you definitely identify with those native. Yeah, I'm worried that it's like it, it's potentially futile all the work we're doing to try to get deliver richer experiences on the web for the amount of effort. I mean, there's no question that today there's like a ton of effort to build an SPA. There's no question. But like also tons of companies are doing it. Tons of companies have split their front end and back end teams and are hiring people who specialize in the front end to have richer experiences. I think you can get richer experiences on the web. The question is like, are they the kind that are, should they be emulating the kinds that you are, people have come to expect on native apps or should they be the rich experiences that, um, that capitalize on what the best that the browser has to offer in a sense, the shareability of it. And, um, you know, having it feel good in a na native browser because like yeah there's just a lot of the like the swipe interaction will not feel good as good in a native browser uh, on a browser device um than if it was just a server render page it won't and it might not for a long time so the question is like yeah how much of the interactivity that you've added is worth it and then i just noticed i started like using every Native app, man, like the, the wine app, wine app is like one of my favorite pieces of software that I, that I use and, and pay for regular. I use it every single day. And, um, I like finally downloaded the app cause I'm used to like doing budgeting, like at my computer. It's just, that's how I think about that. And then I finally downloaded the app for some reason. Maybe I was just curious about it. And the thing that I do every day, which is like go through my latest expenses and categorize them and reconcile it with my bank account to make sure I have everything accounted for. And like the numbers in my budget match the numbers of cash that I actually have in the bank. Um, dude, the, like the, the experience is just better on the app. And it's not for any reason other than it's just, it's just a better UX. So it's faster to do. I can like select multiple things and approve them all. And it's just like done. And uh, on the web, it's like you click and you do it. And it's not about React or Ember or SP. I mean, it's just, it's more like there's just more attention and love given to mobile experiences <laughs> these days, I feel like. And it's just kind of depressing as a, as someone who builds for the web, it can be depressing at times. Yeah. You know what I mean? I do you feel, no. am I just alone over no, here? No, 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 I do. I, I don't, I have no idea what the answer is. And I feel like it can just yell out a hundred different things. But yes, I do know exactly what you mean. Like, what do I like the internet for? <laughs> I'm like looking at my browser tabs and, and like bookmarks and seeing like which web, one of these the... I actually like. Yeah, the web. <laughs> the web. What do I like of these more? Like, even the Bank of America app is better than the site. It's not really fair because all these sites are like 30 years old. Anyways, I don't know, man. Kind of a downer note to end the yeah. episode on. What, uh... <laughs> Is everything we've been doing for six years uh, futile? Um, I see my Kool-Aid man here. React that children. So you uh, you like these, huh? Yeah. Um, these are amazing, aren't they? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I was in I was in an Ember app trying to make a tabs component after I had recently made one in React, and it was like that was the one thing that I really wanted because um, I really wanted just to use tabs from the caller's perspective as um, really just as data. Um, and, um, yeah, the react.children stuff is just like, it's amazing, man. It really is. Yeah. I, I, you know, I've been thinking about this, this idea that, um, you know, kind of like what I was talking about earlier, using XML to like organize code and then parsing it with react. And mm -hmm. when, um, 
you know, Rails developers will be able to relate to this, but in, you know, Ruby's um, language, um, they have this like concept of metaprogramming where like, you know, you can add methods onto classes and um, just the syntax of Ruby, like it basically makes makes it look like you can invent your own syntax. Um, mm. And that, that, that feels kind of the same with React and React.children. You know, kind of like the CMS stuff I talked about earlier, but then also too, like, you can, um, every every single website we work on has a nav, and that nav has, like, a mobile version and a desktop version, and the um, they generally start out as, like, the same HTML structure, and then we, you know, you do, like, flex row or flex column for mobile and desktop, uh, but then you do... This, again, this is every site. You do hit a point where like mobile, the mobile implementation, the desktop implementation are so different, the structure is so different that you can't just use CSS to lay them out. Um, and so what happens is you generally have like two components, like a mobile nav component and a desktop component. And then so you end up repeating a lot of stuff in there, um, which is which is fine. That's way easier then try to make easier, one component. Yeah. So it's, it, there's actually a, a lesson that's going to be in our tailwind training, but yes. Nice. So one of the things I love about this sort of like these, you know, react DSLs, if you will, or using react children is you can represent your site hierarchy, your nav as a bunch of react components that don't actually render anything. Yeah. And yeah, then yeah. You can use react children to basically read in that data structure and create your two separate navs. So this, yeah. this, removes the need for duplication um it lets you yeah. think about the nav as as data it lets you express yeah. the nav as you know html if you will because when you open the component when you open your your app component your layout component you're going right. to see the nav written in jsx but right. under the hood that jsx is just used for like organizational purposes it might as well be passing a json array or something like yeah. that but it's just yeah. nicer exactly exactly yeah yeah again back to the whole cms thing um, yeah so i think this is yeah these these are the the things that i'm i'm just loving so yeah totally to, and and also the r we do that in ember too like ember map right now does that where the site header takes the list of links and it takes it once and then it renders basically two navs i i i actually refactored that um i we have we have just two navs now well we at some point we had did it. we did we did yeah we, so you, you can do it it's just super it's super hard it was re yeah it was it was really hard. i think you used like a contextual component yeah to like create a data structure and then where is the application it's not where's our nav it's in uh, there's like application components header Ah, site header, mobile, site header, yeah, desktop. Yeah. Yeah. This is something I recently did. There was something with, um, I want to say fast. Let's just go back in history because I want to see. Yeah, it was recent. Uh, I had to add a new, this is what it was. I had to add a new thing to the header. And yeah, it wasn't a link. It was something you clicked and it popped open. And it was supposed to be different on desktop and mobile. And I was having a hard time figuring out how to do Using that my insane thing yeah not, not i mean it's not it's not because of you it was just i was having a hard time figuring out how to express that in a single format that could end up on both actually this might be a point like i don't know would this actually have been easier in react maybe not um mm -hmm. but yeah I, I split it into two yep 
I it's actually going back a while here. Um, yeah, it looks like the fast boot. It was a fast boot thing. Um, that that changed it. But um, I want to just pull it up because it it was basically application handlebars. Huh, site header desktop, site header. Yeah, application, HPS. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. So we render a site header as sh, and then you do sh.nav item, and um, each one of those podcast with a label and a route name. So that's once, and then within the site header, you, the question is how do you get those? And and this is this is where children would just be so much easier i think we do something like we do like when two the, yields and then so like you can you can uh, yield, yeah you can yield and operate on the desktop stuff and yield and operate on the mobile stuff but it's not the thing is we're not really yielding in in the sense that i mean i guess we don't we actually are. want to no no the, the the yielding is actually it only happens to work which is why like slots is like something you really can't do like you end up doing it with two yields but really sometimes all you actually want is the data so I just want the actual labels and routes that you passed that you rendered. And um, I want to be able to do with those whatever I want. And with, with Ember, the only way we figure out how to do that is like you don't yield, actually. You just, um, well, you yield the contextual component, but it doesn't render it does, anything. It just, All it does is like on did insert, it registers itself. Yeah. And then you like grab properties off of the instance, which is basically like a super convoluted way to do react.children.props. Yeah. So, um, it's basically the same thing, but it's not like a pattern in Ember. Like that's not, you would just normally not do that. Um, yield, yield as a concept is okay here. It's just, it's what you said. There's just so many hoops to jump through because you do, you, you yield to register something. Um, yeah. You do want to yield in the sense that you, you want to yield, but then you want execute. the parent. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But then you want the thing in charge of rendering to be able to say, all right, instead of just rendering children, yeah, I'm yeah. going to like do children dot uh, map. And then for each one on props, and I'm going to remember render my local tab component with this prop, and that's it's it. almost so you just need that abstraction. Layer. I'm not I'm not recommending this as an API, and I think it would be awful. But it's almost like you want like a yield to, and like I can yield to I don't know like this template, or I can yield to some JavaScript function. So at when I'm yielding, I can control where it goes. You get like a callback with the props or something like yeah, that. Yeah, just yeah, I, I don't know. This would be an awful <laughs> API, so I should. You need like, yeah. you do want to yield. You do want the code to execute. The same with React Children. You you want to run the inner code. You just don't mm -hmm. want it to show up on the screen. And so, so yeah. directing where that goes um, would be nice. The registering thing is really confusing because you have to wait until it renders to know what it rendered when really all you want is literally the data in the template. But like, so it's static in that sense, mm -hmm. except that, it could actually be the result of a loop, in which case it's dynamic. So you actually do need to wait until you you render, um, which I guess that's kind of confusing. Like, how does React.Children work? But maybe it's because you've already executed the children. So 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 you've already re already reconciled, and so you already know what the like the VDOM description is, so that when the parent component is rendering, it already knows what the children. Yeah, are. Yeah, in React, we we can we can you have that render in between render children is something we can do but that doesn't necessarily mean that children were painted yeah where, exactly. where with ember you, those, exactly. or those 
or those two things are together. Exactly. Um, and so, yeah, yeah. And there are times where this yep. makes sense. There might be times where we do need to render and we do need to put something on the screen to measure its height. So like, hey, I have a question. Mm-hmm. This is something we always run into where we say, you, this is like the, some of the hardest things you have to do where you have to re- wait to render to know what's being rendered, where it's like, does the application header have a back button? Well, we have to wait until the children are rendered and then we have to have some convoluted. We try to do this with context where there's like a theme, um, theme context. And so there's some state, which is like dark, darker light. And let's say you render a toggle way down below. And then it can like set state on this like provider component at the root of the app to like from theme light to theme dark. And then, um, but like, can't you, couldn't you just use children for this kind of thing? Not the setter side, but like, I'm thinking of a, let's say, let's say, uh, Again, let's take a case where like the, the mobile nav header, where a, a header like often in a mobile app will have a title set by the parent, by the by child, right? So you're on like a uh, contacts route, like your phone app in your iPhone, mm-hmm. and you look up like Ryan and you click on it. The header, the global header is going to now have like Ryan and it's going to have a back button that's going to go to the list. But like that header is not being rendered by the child page because it's like a persistent header that whose titles like um, fade back and forth mm-hmm. um, as you navigate around the app. So the question I have is like, uh, usually when we do this, we're like, okay, to figure out what goes in that title slot of the app header, we have to wait to render like the contact page and like maybe fetch Ryan. And then we do, and we know it should say like Ryan Toronto up there, but how do you like send that up? And um, we usually use like a context or something like that. But it happens like after you render it, but like, what if the data was just there? If if the child, if the children are reconciled, like, couldn't the parent just like dig really far down deep into children and find, yeah, any find find this particular part of the whole tree and pull out the data so that it doesn't literally have to wait until it's painted. It can actually just introspect its children to figure out. You see what I'm saying? I, I, yes. Some, somewhere in the children is like uh, uh, a title toggle, you know, a title setter component being rendered with a prop of Ryan Toronto. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, so I, I, I think there's a few things here. Like we could always we could always use effect or use layout effect to get around this, where we have um, the child does some use layout effect that sets some state and context, and so that makes like the render appear all secret synchronous. And there's no like flashing between. Does that get a, does that get, does that run in the server? No. So that's why we've always moved away from that. I'm not sure what the, um, so you would like have a, uh, app component that basically renders children to some, uh, that renders children. And then what, like it has to like capture it. It renders children, but it just, it, it, so, okay, let's say your app component renders like a nav, like a, a P tag, which is the header, and then it renders children below, which is like the outlet, right? But then the P tag has like a default title, which is like your app. But then if there happens to be a um, app title component that is currently rendered in the tree, subtree, it takes precedence over the default header. So then also what we do is we we do children.traverse 
basically, because like children is like this giant, giant tree, tree of yeah. your entire app. And then we find if any of the rendered components that are in my reconciled VDOM or whatever have um, the app header component being rendered. And if so, what the prop.title is. And if so, I just grab that and I stick that right there. And I didn't have to wait until I rendered. I just was able to traverse a data structure and find it. Yeah. And then I don't have to like have my site header component like use an effect after the fact to like set some state on a provider component that um, my app can read from and update its title. And there's no, um, it's there's just synchronous. No con- it's a one shot no thing. There's no context or anything. No. Yeah. There's no context. Yeah. We should try that because I- I'm thinking yeah. like uh, the naive version here is just like take react.children tree and just yeah. find by flatten it all and then by find by is yeah. nav nav title, title or whatever whatever, whatever yeah. we want to call that yeah. theme set theme yeah that seems like that would be so much simpler than every time we've tried to do this with like an effect and context mm-hmm. um and we have like flickering remember the the the, the title the header on the mirage site that goes from black to white how, how do we we solve that by pulling that state out and putting it in our static route hierarchy so that uh, the app root app component can just set, look at that ahead of time. It doesn't have to wait to render. But that's the only reason that data is in there. The only reason we put that metadata in our router yeah. is because we couldn't figure out a good way to do it at runtime. Yeah. Yeah, this would be good Good to try. Um, yeah. I'm thinking because we have like the whole outlet system. But none of that's async. All that is synchronous. Totally. It's all synchronous. Yeah. And if you could make, basically the goal is like, can you make it so like any leaf, you know, component can just drop a like dark header component. And when it gets rendered, it just, the header is dark and the, the header component knows that. And it can look that up synchronously without having to wait to render and then have an effect to toggle it afterwards. Cause that would flicker. You know? Now, how does the header, so the header needs to like be reactive in the sense that like, if, if that, dark component was removed from the tree the header needs to know it has to recrawl the tree well every time it renders it would it would do children.traverse and then look for an existence of a thing that is um a dark header component but doesn't find one is light and so if it ever re-renders because you navigate away or anything it would just update and we're we're and and we can safely say that like any prop change in the system is going to force the whole app to re-render well, I guess now the parent depends on all of its children. So react.children.traverse, which doesn't even exist, but I'm just going to see if it is possible. I mean, there's react.children to array. Yeah. And yep. react.children.traverse, yes, it exists in the sense that we get, yeah, but yeah, I don't yeah. know if it's reactive in the sense that, like, if you render from react.children.toArray, does that mean now React knows it needs to re render that component? But, like, yeah, we have to try it. Also, because you have children, but children isn't necessarily what's on the screen. Children is just like the next yeah. render, the reconcile VDOM. Right. I have a question. There might be a simpler way to do this where <clears throat> instead of using effect, the, ch- the children, the child, um, you know how we like now understand that you can like conditionally call set state in a render function, like in, in a function, mm-hmm. like, um, when we tried to do that, it like was too many unnecessary renders. So then you put it in an effect and, and everything, but then you realize like that's not actually correct. Like you can just 
say if the previous value has changed call set state that's fine there's nothing wrong with that the thing is you just need to be careful not to call it in a loop like uh, recursively over and over again maybe that dark header component can just say if context value dot theme is light call set mode dark and then it just happens during render and you don't need an effect for it but because you've done it conditionally you don't hit the loop problem yeah i'd be interested to know if um i'm worried that there could be some like batching going on where that we could still render the header before the child component is rendered so the header could still render with light i don't think so it can't paint if you have a child that calls set state i i don't think remember that that's that's what that's what we were just talking about on twitter thread ryan florence said that it won't paint there'll be two renders but it won't one paint and i said how do you know that and he said i i don't know how he said i don't know well let's let's i don't think he had an answer because this even, was related let's to let's even assume that's true if mm -hmm. i'm rendering a header and then down in the tree something else renders a set state theme to dark yeah could my header and the header uses could my header uses render theme. before that inner component renders well it could render the header uses theme right use theme hook where it reads from context mm -hmm. provider at the root and then it says if theme is light do this else dark do this so the first time it renders it's going to be light um i don't know in what order react reconciles maybe the children run first but let's say they don't if you have a render and then a child renders that call a set state, you're going to have a second render where the context value will now be dark. And so when the header component renders and it reads from context, it'll be dark. So you do have two renders again, but you won't have a flicker the way we had a flicker when we wrote that component to use, use effect. Yeah. And just, I know that like theming and state and context is like really simple in, in React. Our issue is that we need the theming to change on transition while these parent components are already rendered. And so you get a render yeah. of the child components that set the state yeah. while the state was old state. So there's an yes. there's a, a one frame of inconsistency. Yes. And I don't yes, exactly my question is like even if you move the set to the render function, do you get a <laughs> you're crazy right now? <laughs> I'm getting excited. Yeah, I think so, because I think if you have a set in the render function, then you'll never see the, the stale version of the, the like thing. You you, because that you was the question. You won't see this component rendered. Therefore, you won't see a thing with a wrong theme. Therefore, you give the exactly. header time to read from context and update its theme. Exactly. Exactly. Cool. I mean, we should, we should definitely try. Yeah. yeah, we have two things to try now. One is is that. The other is... Um, is tr children about traverse the children about traverse thing I, I just want to say it feels completely wrong from like oh, from it's like it's bananas like a, a, <laughs> a data passing and all that stuff in react yeah reaching into children to figure out what to render but like that is a valid conceptually that is valid it's just the what is the idiomatic way to do mm -hmm. that you know mm -hmm. so pretty interesting man i mean children dot length like that is reaching into children to figure out what to render. If you were to say like, I have 10 child children, or if I'm a layout component and I need a 10 column grid, or if I'm rendering 10 posts and I'm going to say 10 posts, that is in some sense looking at your children to figure out what to render. So I don't think it's, um, it's not like a, uh, you know, sacrilegious. Yeah. Cool. It's just the more dynamic stuff is, is tough.
Yeah, I have a lot of thoughts. But because I you try this, yeah, 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 it's pretty interesting. Awesome, man. Um, we did domain modeling. Okay, so we did a domain modeling with Mirage.js training. One silver lining about the the virus canceling EmberConf is that it's online. So we're going to be sharing that with everybody. Which, um, thanks to uh, you know the the conference organizers, Leia, and everyone being generous and being willing to share all that. And um, so we're going to share that. And uh, it's pretty awesome because it's like an hour and a half and it, and it uses like an early version of the inspector. We've also been, Ryan and I've been pairing a little bit on Mirage JS inspector. So if you're into like watching us code through these struggles that we have, um, maybe with some like booze bias next time to make it a little bit more, uh, no, is it good? <laughs> Actually, they were both good. The first one was like an hour and a half. Then I did one for like two hours and they were both like super productive. So we're doing this on my YouTube channel. And uh, it's pretty fun. And um, we're building this inspector for Mirage that's going to make it really easy to share, like Mirage configs and, and stuff like that. So if you're into that, uh, heading over to uh, youtube.com slash Sam Selikoff. And then we're also working on a Tailwind training, our second one that we were supposed to do live last week, which is also going to be shared on um, on Ember Maps YouTube and probably mine as well. So um, yeah, keep your eye out for that. And uh, or maybe both your eyes and actually keep both of your eyes out for that um other than that stay safe thanks for joining us and we'll see you next week see ya. bye